0: you would turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 8. It's on page 944 if you're using the Bibles in the chairs around you. We continue in our sermon series on Romans, and we are in chapter 8, and as I told the first service, there's a lot going on in this passage here this morning. We're not going to cover every single thing. But we're going to do as much as we can, and uh, it's exciting to be able to preach, uh, as it was remarked to me this week on uh, the day when we can turn our clocks back an hour, so the pastor gets an extra hour to preach. So very, very glad to be preaching today for that reason. I'm just kidding. Okay, I think. But we are in Romans 8 today, verses 28 through 30, this wonderful passage Uh, where we see, really, the love of God for His people and all that that entails. So let's read it and we'll ask God to help us as we study it together. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, we ask now that You would remind us new and afresh of Your great love for us, of Your goodness, of Your glory. And that You would uh, help us to see our need for Christ and His atoning work on our behalf. And that, the Holy Spirit, You would help us. And You would open our hearts and eyes and ears and minds to, re- to receive Your Word with thankfulness. And with praise, uh, and that you would help us uh, to understand uh, these things that are before us today and to give you the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, when something happens to you or to someone close to you that is difficult, a trial, a time of suffering, an unexpected diagnosis, what is your first and immediate response? I think if we took the rest of the day and went around the room, we would get a lot of different answers. Denial, sadness, anger, grief. There would be questions. Maybe we would say prayer or calling a friend to talk about these things. And these are all normal and in many ways appropriate responses to the trials that inevitably come to all of us. At some point as we process these trials and struggles, There's a point in time particularly for Christians but I think in general for everyone where people will turn to God maybe to cry out for help maybe to protest what is happening to lament to ask questions or even to praise Him in the midst of difficult circumstances. And somewhere along the way we'll turn or someone will turn us often to Romans 8.28 and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. Sometimes this verse gets shortened simply to God works all things for good. This is where we have to be careful, is it can become easy to miss the full context. And I would also say the fuller encouragement that comes from understanding this wonderful verse, in this wonderful chapter, in this wonderful book, in the Scriptures as a whole, I'll go a little further and say that you may be listening and recall a time when someone mentioned a phrase to you, God works all things for the good. And it was in a time of difficulty. And they did it with the best of intentions. But it found resistance. Simply because it can seem sometimes like a trite thing to say to someone who is suffering. This morning, we want to talk about Romans 8.28 and 29 and 30, and probably as much of the rest of the Bible as we can get in this morning, as we look to our God and hear what he says through his word about himself, about us, about his purposes, and the glorious salvation that he provides. I've shared in the past an illustration, and I think I've been here long enough that I can share it again. Is that okay? Okay, I'm going back to, I don't know, I probably did this five or six years ago. But the illustration is this of a 3D mosaic puzzle. My dad would put these together. Uh, We had a recreation room in our house and they would be displayed on the wall. And these puzzles have a lot of smaller pictures or scenes that you could stand real close to the puzzle and see the details. For example, there was one that had several tigers pictured on the various individual puzzle pieces. When you step back, you looked at the puzzle as a whole. All you saw was one big tiger. The big picture. This is the big picture passage of Scripture. and invites us, even if we may feel like our face is pressed up against one seam of the puzzle, it invites us to step back. And to look to God who is taking all of these scenes to make one glorious picture. Before we go further, it's helpful to consider... What the good is in verse 28. Sometimes we hear this and we think that whatever situation that we are in, it will work out for our good, kind of in the way that vegetables are on your plate at dinner. Like, eat these vegetables, it will be good for you. But this is where we need to see that the good here in Romans 8 28 is so much more, because we take the context that we see here in verses 29 and 30 along with what we know from Romans already. The good is ultimately God's glorious plan of salvation, our redemption from sin through the work of Christ, in which we are chosen, called, justified, adopted, sanctified, and glorified by our good and gracious and sovereign God. That is the good. It's not vegetables. It is a whole feast that God is preparing us for. Let's look at this good this morning in terms of God's grand work of salvation kind of in three ways here, in, in the past, in the present, and in the future. And so first, we're, one of the things we see from this passage is that God is eternal and has in eternity past foreknown and predestined some to eternal life. To begin to understand the big picture, we step back. And we see that one of the implications of this passage and of all of Scripture is that God is eternal. We are not eternal beings, but He is. We are created lovingly by God, made in His image. He promises everlasting life for those who are His, who believe in Him. But we have not been here from all eternity. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. The passage brings in these words foreknew and predestined in reference to our salvation that demonstrate God's orchestration of our salvation and of our very lives that it goes back to long before we were here. It is God who was and is and will be. And this passage teaches us and other places in Scripture teaches us as well That from eternity past, God has set His love on you. It's often been said that the word foreknew here could be understood as foreloved. Now there are those who will say that God's foreknowledge refers to Him simply knowing in advance what will happen. That He looks ahead and sees what each of us will decide, even in regards to our salvation. And God certainly knows what will happen. But what the Scripture teaches is that salvation is God's work from beginning to end, that it does not depend on us, and that God foreknew or foreloved us, that He set His love on us in eternity past and chose us, as Ephesians 1 says, from before the foundation of the world. Elsewhere, Paul speaks of this, giving his testimony in Galatians 1. So if you want to know how to give a testimony, here's one of the places Paul does it. And we'll see what we can learn from it here. He says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church violently and tried to destroy it. Now I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born... And who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. We might ask the question when was Paul saved? Certainly, we will point to the Damascus Road as Paul refers to Christ being revealed to him in verse 16. But we also see here, long before that, he was set apart before he was even born and called. By the grace of God. In 2 Timothy, some more things. He says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Notice here the circumstances. Paul, a prisoner, calls for Timothy to join him in suffering for the gospel in the here and now, but he also immediately steps back to the big picture, and he reminds Timothy that it was God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. God is eternal. Before the ages began, he was at work with his grand plan of salvation, which includes you. When I was a a teenager, my pastor would give us a visual picture of God setting his love on us and not letting us go. And so we'll we'll do that here this morning. We'll see how this goes. But this is us. Okay? Not doing anything. All right. We're dead in our sins. And God, before the foundation of the world from eternity past, has set his love on us. And he comes into time, space, and history and does everything necessary to grab hold of us, to rescue us from our sin and to save us. And believe it, I mean, sometimes we, we wish we could get, you know, can we squirm out of it? No, but eventually we come to rest by faith in what God has done for us and that we belong to him. And we grab hold of the one who has grabbed hold of us. God not only foreknows and predestines, electing Son to everlasting life, but we also see here He calls those who belong to Him. Verse 28. Notice that God works all things for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. In verse 30, says, those he predestined, he also called. Earlier in the service, we set the catechism together to help us understand uh, this wonderful doctrine of effectual calling and what it means. And it's the work of God's Spirit whereby he convinces us of our sin and misery. He enlightens our minds in the knowledge of Christ, renews our wills, persuades and enables us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. There are several scripture passages that refer to those who belong to Christ as those who are called by God. Romans 1 is a great example. At the beginning of the letter, he says, This includes you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his saints. In Ephesians, Paul prays for them to have the eyes of their hearts enlightened that they would know what is the hope to which He has called them. Peter uses this several times in his letters. 1 Peter 5.10, he says, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And then under the radar, the beginning of the letter of Jude, right? Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called... Beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. And in Christ himself, in John 6, he uses the word draw to talk about this calling. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Friends, it's all over the scriptures in these places and several other places. God moves first. God initiates. God calls us to salvation and does everything necessary for our salvation through the work of Christ. He applies it by the work of His Spirit in drawing us and calling us to Himself. As we have already seen, we can testify to this, that we who were dead in our sins have been made alive in Christ, that we have had our eyes open to the reality of our sin and misery and rebellion against God. And the Spirit has led us to trust in Jesus Christ by faith that his work on the cross has paid the penalty for our sins that we have been declared righteous on account of his righteousness and that through his resurrection he has declared victory over sin and over death and has called us to eternal everlasting life with him. So we can trace this great salvation from eternity past. God's foreknowledge, he foreloved us. Predestination, that he chose us, and then that he called us to faith in what he had accomplished for us in Christ. And that brings us to the present, in which we understand here that we are justified, it says. We are justified by the work of Christ, that our sins are forgiven, and that we are declared righteous. This also means that we are adopted into God's family. As we spoke of a few weeks ago, we see here in the passage that Christ is the firstborn among many brothers. That we are part of his family and we have the status of being God's beloved children. There's also here the present reality that God is at work in us. That we have been called to his purpose which has a future sense in regard to eternal life, but also a present sense in regard to our sanctification, which is the work of God's grace by which he is making us holy. The Catechism sums it up this way, that sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. In verse 29, we see that it says we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. This means our salvation is not simply a matter of us being plucked out of this life and just kind of placed into the next. Or that we have some sort of experience in this life and we are saved and then we just go do what we want with the rest of our lives. But that part of our salvation is that God is working in us now. To make us holy and to conform us into the image of Christ. Colossians 3 says that we've put off the old self with his practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Ephesians 2 8 through 10, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. Friends, God is at work in you by His Spirit, and He has holy purposes for you now to bring glory to Him by making you more and more like Christ. This is great news because God is in it from start to finish. He will not leave you alone. To me, and I suspect for many of us, this all can be difficult to grab hold of at times. And when we think about this matter of sanctification, I, I, have, I have questions. Why do I still sin? Why does it seem that sometimes I take one step forward and then I follow it with stumbling backwards? Haven't I done something that disqualifies me from this great salvation? 2 Thessalonians 2.13 says this, But we are always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. We see here echoes of what we have in Romans 8. That we have been chosen, that we have been elected for a purpose. To be conformed to the image of Christ. To be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. God is doing that work. It is part of His glorious plan of salvation for us. Many have called this passage in Romans the unbreakable chain that we have been foreknown, foreloved, we've been predestined, called, justified, adopted, sanctified, and glorified. And God doesn't skip any steps in that regard. All of these wonderful truths join together and are true for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because of this, we can say, as it says in verse 28, we love God. Thanks be to Him. Because He has first loved us. From the past to to the present to the future, verse 30 ends with the reminder that God will finish His work in us. That one day we will be glorified. We've spoken of this several times already in Romans. In Romans 6, verse 5, it says, For if we've been united with Him, Christ, in a death like His... We shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Earlier in Romans 8, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. It is that future glory with Christ that we've been saved to. It's where we're headed as we are united to Christ by faith. And God, who works all things for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose, He has orchestrated and accomplished His great and glorious plan of salvation from the beginning, and He will bring it to completion. Let's circle back to verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. If we made the connection here this morning that the good that God is working all things for is ultimately his glorious plan of salvation, then how does that change how we view the all things that God is working together? How do we view our suffering? How do we view our blessings? How do we understand the difficulties and struggles of this life? What do we do when we see the effects of sin and brokenness on this world? Do even these things fit in God's plan? The great theologian John Stott, he said this in reflecting on this passage, and this is helpful for me this week. He said, we do not always understand what God is doing, let alone welcome it. Nor are we told that He is at work for our comfort. But we know that in all things, He is working towards our supreme good. And one of the reasons we know this is that we are given many examples of it in the Scripture. For instance, we see Joseph's conviction about his brother's cruelty in selling him into Egypt. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, the saving of many lives. The same concurrence of human evil and divine plan had its most conspicuous display in the cross. Which in the book of Acts, Peter attributed both to the wickedness of men and to God's set purpose and foreknowledge. If God is sovereign and has accomplished such a great salvation for us, even through the cross and the suffering of Christ there, And His sovereign care extends to everything. Shall we not trust Him? Even when adversity hits. Even when it seems that we cannot see or understand what He is doing. One of the big applications here today, aside from just saying thank you God, is recognizing God's sovereignty. Not only in our salvation, but in everything. He works out His will and His plan and and His acts of providence. The Heidelberg Catechism summarizes Scripture so beautifully. And I want to close with reading a couple of sections of that. And I want you to to hear it and listen and and maybe see where you could say amen to this response to the great salvation God has for us. In the first question, it says at one point, He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Later it says this, I trust God so much that I do not doubt He will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity He sends upon me in this sad world. And then later, we can be patient when things go against us. Thankful when things go well. And for the future, we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing in creation will separate us from His love. For all creatures are so completely in God's hand that without His will, they can neither move nor be moved. Friends, this morning, let's trust God together. Let's love Him. For He loved us First. He has foreknown and chosen and called and justified and adopted and sanctified and glorified you. And He is working all things for that good, your good, and for His glory. Please pray with me. Father, we ask now that You would help us, that You would grow us, that You would increase our faith and trust in You. That You would remind us of the glorious work of salvation. What Christ did for us in His death on the cross and His resurrection from the grave. And that He has ascended on high. And thank You for the work of Your Spirit in us now. Leading and directing us. We ask that You would, this day, cause us to praise You. Cause us to cry out to You, uh, even in the midst of difficulty, and be reminded that You are at work uh, and that Your love never fails. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.